Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Well, good morning, church. How's everybody doing this morning? Good to see you all this morning. We are starting a brand new series today called The Waiting Room, The Waiting Room. And, uh, you know, we are in the season of Advent. Advent just means coming or appearing. And we talk about the Advent season. We're talking about the remembrance of Jesus' first Advent, right? The fact that when we couldn't get to God, God came to us. And uh, nothing captures my imagination and heart more than the Advent season uh, and the wonder of Christmas. And uh, I love this time of year to be able to reflect and to think and to pause. Most of our lives, if we're honest, in the Western world are skimmed more than they are lived. Uh, If you remember the great Socrates, Socrates said a life that is lived without examining is not really a, a life well lived. And his whole idea was that if we just move so quickly that we never pause to actually take inventory or think, then we'll just skim our lives. We won't actually live our lives. What's beautiful about the Advent season is that time to pause and to reflect. And um, this series is going to help us do that even more as we talk about what it means to wait upon the Lord. We are in that unique season of Christian history where we stand between two Advents. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. The divine eternal Son took on flesh. This is what separates the Son from Jesus pre-incarnation. Now there is no difference. The divine eternal Son that had no flesh took on flesh, and so that He is now inextricably linked to flesh for all eternity. Most people don't realize that in the Christian faith. When the Son takes on flesh and lives 33 years and dies and gives His life and then is resurrected, He's still a part of flesh. And so even ascending back to the Father, John would see about 30 years later into heaven, a heavenly vision, and he would see the, the Lamb who looked like he was, he was bleeding, who had been slain from the foundation of the world. And so that Jesus has glorified flesh. But now, here's the crazy thing, right? We're waiting for His second advent. So we stand between two advents. Yes, Christ has come, but Christ will come again. And lest you get discouraged and think in somehow, some way, too much time has passed before His second coming, may I encourage you, for every prophecy in the Old Testament that speaks of Christ's first coming, there are nine that speak of His second coming. So if you have any, uh, any confidence at all that Christ indeed did come the first time, you should have 90% more confidence that Christ is going to come a second time. That King Jesus will come and set up his earthly reign. And so we're going to talk all month about what it means to wait upon the Lord. I do want to welcome those that are streaming live. Thank you for streaming with us. And I do want to say as well, thank you, Laura. Laura and Hudson Hancock. Laura specifically uh, stepped into the role of leading some of these uh, outreaches in the city. Did a great job, Laura, with logistics and planning. And so we appreciate your investment and uh, appreciate all of those who served again yesterday in uh, downtown Woodstock. And I am praying for all of you Georgia fans as well, okay? So... um, (laughs) So listen, I mean this with sincerity. I will pray that the college football playoff committee realizes that it's not the four most uh, deserving teams, but it's the four best teams, okay? And we're far away from Tallahassee and Florida State, so nobody wants to see a a 12-0 Florida State with a second or third string quarterback in the CFP, okay? I get that. So hopefully, hopefully they will make good, wise decisions this week. But uh, nonetheless, next year it's a 12-team playoff, so we won't have to worry about such things. I don't know of a more important lesson that God's people ought to learn than the one you and I are going to discuss in the message for the next few moments. I think it's one of the most important lessons in all of the Scripture. Every believer needs to understand it, and I think about how many people go through life and never understand this simple principle of the Word of God. And as a result... They do not experience God's best. They experience His second best because they violate a very, very important principle. Now, this principle is stated in one single verse, but it's illustrated many times throughout the Word of God. Not only when God deals with individual people's lives, but when He deals even with groups of people. And so when I think about how important it is, I want to encourage you today to take notes. 
If you want to follow along on the digital sermon card or even write on your own sheet of paper, uh, I'm going to tell you, you will not remember all this. I'm going to put a lot of notes, and they're going to come in succession on the screen so that you'll be able to copy them down. Because listen to me, it's not just a matter of us saying it. And it's certainly not just a matter of me saying it. I want you to hear it. I want you to record it. And then I want you to apply it to your heart because God can make a difference in your life if you'll just practice this one simple principle. It isn't difficult sometimes, and it's simple, but it can sometimes be challenging. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah chapter 64, and I want to read these first couple of verses or so. We're going to read the first four verses, but I really want to focus primarily on verse 4. But let's start and beginning in verse 1. And as I do, I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of these four verses of Scripture. Isaiah, the prophet of God, sent to really the southern kingdom of Israel, but also the northern kingdom. Southern kingdom we call Judah, northern be Israel. About 720 years before Jesus comes on the planet, Isaiah has his ministry. He says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, speaking of God, that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, doesn't it? Fire does both of those. Come down to make known your, make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Now, for when you did awesome things that we did not expect, verse 3, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Next slide. Now I want you to listen to this fourth verse. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you, comma, who acts in behalf of those who wait for Him. Notice that phrase, who acts in behalf of those who wait for Him. Would you pray with me, Father? Speak to us by the person of your Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. One of the most valuable lessons you'll ever learn in the Christian life is learning to wait upon God. And sometimes, oftentimes, people are too busy, too much, in a hurry. And if you'll think about today, you know, in modern American life, we have credit cards so you don't have to wait, right? You just pick up the phone and tell them what you want, give them a few numbers, it's all over. You don't even have to pick up the phone, right? In terms of calling, you could use your thumbs and your card is already pre-saved on whatever it is that you're purchasing from and it's over. It's instant. You've got daily delivery. I wonder how many, how much each of us would purchase if we had to pay cash for everything. You imagine if American life took away the convenience of paying for things online. You had to actually pay with cash. Boy, we'd be a whole lot better financially, as you can imagine, as a nation. You and your family would be a whole lot better off, as you can imagine. Probably not spend nearly as much as we often spend. There's something just about waiting we don't like. In other words, we don't like to wait long in lines. And when somebody in front of us and the light's been green for two and a half milliseconds and we haven't moved, they don't like that very much. Okay, So you will get a middle finger wave on Highway 92. Okay, People shooting people, people in Christmas season, murdering people, road rage on the road because they're going up to two lane roads and and they're, you know, truckers in the left fast lane or accelerated lane. We just don't like it at all. And so we're naturally impatient. And American culture makes us more impatient. Because we're living in a world where not only do we want it now, we can have it now. Most of the things you can have right now. But the problem is that's not the way it is with God. Everything with God is completely inverse of that. Totally different from that. And the violation of that principle can be very, very, very expensive. So I want you to listen carefully what the Scripture says. The Bible says that God acts in behalf of those who wait for Him. Notice that. God is a God of action. He does act. He works. He operates with a sense of direction and purpose in mind. Now, I don't claim to be any good preacher, but probably the best preaching advice I'd ever received from Fleming Rutledge said this, that the source or the noun of all verbs in your preaching need to be God and not a you or a human. 
I learned that really early on. You don't want people to subconsciously think that when you're preaching, you would be the source of any actions that are taking place. You want man's response to always be to God's action. And it's interesting that God is the God who acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. Meaning He operates, God does, with a sense of divine direction and a divine purpose in mind. Not only for individuals, but for, indivi- or, but, but for universal purpose. For example, when I think about the fact that God is sovereign, He's completely sovereign. He can create by speaking a word. That He's sovereign of all things and control or knows all things. God is this awesome God who has a desire to work in your life. He has a desire to work in my life. And that's why He works personally in our lives. Not just universally in creation, but He works personally in our lives. What do you mean He works personally in our lives? You say, well, how does He do do that? Well, first of all, He has a plan. You're going to see several of these come on the screen. He has a plan. He has a will. He has a purpose for your life. He's willing to reveal that purpose. He's willing to reveal that plan for your life. And in order to make it all personal, he decided to come to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, taking upon himself the form of humanity and living among us to reveal exactly uh, exactly who God is and what he's like. Now, not only did he come to reveal the Father, but he came to die on the cross and to atone for our sins. And the scripture says, now he's given to us the gift of eternal life. That is, God is a God who's personally involved in our lives. And so often people say, well, I believe in God, Craig, but God is just out there doing something. No, God works in our lives in a personal way. We are not deists. We are functional disciples. Deists, which are our country's founders, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, they were not Christians in the Christian sense of the word. They were deists. They believe God started the the world and set it on a timer and had no providential involvement in it. That is not the God of Scripture. The God of Scripture is personally involved in humans' lives. God has providence in humanity. He intervenes in situations time and time again. And I want you to listen carefully because one of the reasons that some of you are in the situation you are in right now is because you fail to keep this principle. That is, He acts in behalf of those who wait for Him. Now the question becomes... What is God trying to say to us in all of this? Well, not only does he become personally involved in our life, but the question is, in what ways does he become personally involved in our lives? In other words, we know he saves us and so forth. But think about this. There are some ways that God tells us to wait upon him. And some of, these are some of the ways that this God who tells us to wait upon him actually becomes involved in our lives. First of all, he, be, he reveals his will to us. This is his personal work. Secondly, he gives us clear direction when we need it. He gives us clear counsel and guidance. In fact, that's one of his names, the wonderful counselor. Thirdly, he guides us to do what? He guides us to make wise choices in our life. God personally guides us. And what is he doing? He protects us. Yes, he does. He, listen, protects the outcome of our obedience to him. When we're obedient to him, he protects the outcome of that obedience. Not only that, he shields us from situations and circumstances we're not aware of. You know how many times he shielded you on I-75? Do you realize how many times he shielded you on I-575? Do you realize how many times he shielded you through a, a a, 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 a barreling, you know, an 18-wheeler that's barreling through a, an intersection on a red light. He, is, he shields us. I think about how He heals us. He, he comforts us. He teaches us. He answers our prayers. This is one of the things I always tell people. One of the ways that you and I know He's a personal God is He answers our prayers. If He didn't answer our prayers, then He wouldn't be personal. But He does answer our prayers. Specific conversation to Him, He then responds to that specific conversation. That is a God of personal involvement. Listen to me. If you didn't believe He was personally involved in your life, you wouldn't pray. You wouldn't pray. You wouldn't communicate. You wouldn't talk to Him. And so when I think about how He empowers us... and Whatever God calls you to do, whatever He calls me to do, He's there to empower us. He's there to enable us, to strengthen us, to give us the guidance we need in order to do that in a fashion that's pleasing and honorable to Him. And not only that, when I think about all the music that we just heard from this worship team, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't it awesome, our worship team leading? Okay, I'm the only one. I got a couple head bobs. Listen to me. Does He not rejoice our hearts? Is that not personal involvement? God today, through the worship, He rejoiced my heart. My heart wasn't rejoiced when I walk in, but my heart was rejoiced after I heard music and after I heard the anthem of praise. 
The symphony of praise given to God. What is the source of our joy and our happiness and our peace? It is God. Does your heart not rejoice when you get to worship Him? And God says, do not be anxious about all these things, but by what? In everything, by supplication and prayer, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And our God will grant us what? He will grant us what? Peace. Peace. He will garrison about us in such a way. He will protect us in such a way that we'll have a peace that is so awesome that it's past our understanding because he's personally involved in your life. Now think about this. He's a God who's awesomely all-powerful. That is, he doesn't have to ask permission to do anything. He doesn't have to go to anyone and ask, hey, may I do this or may I not do that? He's a God who's not only sovereign, but he's personally involved. And so because he's personally involved, here's what he's looking for. You ready? He's looking for what's best for your life. God is looking for what's best for you individually. God is looking for what's best for you and your family. That is, how can he work in your life personally? This is what God's always asking. What's the best thing I can do for Craig? That's what he's always asking. What's the best thing I can do for the Simon crew? What's the best thing? He always has our best in mind. Sometimes we don't, do we? Sometimes we, oh, we make choices that are devastating. Anybody ever made choices that are devastating? And in your limited perspective, you thought it was best for you, didn't you? Right? I thought it was best for me, but I don't always know what's best for me. Sometimes we make choices that we don't know. We aren't able to get a a full survey of. But God, listen to me, always gives his best to those who leave the choice up to him. That's why in Jeremiah 18, when he said, Jeremiah, go down to the water's pot or, 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 or wheel, and I'm going wa- to teach you a lesson. Then what is he showing? He shows him in Jeremiah 17 and 18, verse 4, that God gives the best to those who leave the choice up to him. If you take the choice, you might surrender God's best. But if you leave the choice to God, God will always give you the best. We say, well, I made a mistake here. I do understand that. But God is a God who's working in our life in many different ways. And because He is, and because He's personally involved, He has the right, not only the wisdom and the power, to say to us, not now. God has the right to say to me, not now. This is not the time. That's not the direction, Craig. I want you to just wait. Just wait. I have the best in mind if you'll just wait for me. So I want you to think about some things in your life that are really important to you this morning. I'd like for you just to think for a few moments, things that are really valuable to you. Because there are some things that God wants to do in your life. He wants to do it in 2024. He wants to do it in 2023 for our last 30 days, right? There are things God wants to do in our life. And He wants to work in our, in our behalf in some things that require us to wait. Now listen to me. Just because God has you waiting doesn't mean that God's forgotten you. Doesn't mean that God's forgotten your GPS. Doesn't mean that God has forgotten where you're at. Doesn't mean that God doesn't know how to locate you. It does not mean that God's not doing anything. In fact, today I'm titled this message, God is acting in our waiting. God is acting when we wait on Him. And so I want to talk about why and what it is we wait for in this whole idea of waiting. Because this is a major principle of the Word of God. Listen to me. There are two things we wait for. You'll see them on the screen. We wait for God's timing, and we wait for God's direction. We wait for the timing of God, and we wait for the direction of God. Those two two things we must learn to wait. Now, let me try to, you know, we, we try to teach them to our kids too, right? They want something, and we say, well, I'll give you one of those, but I'm just not giving it to you now, Marley. Why can't I have it now? Because it's dangerous for you, okay? And your brain can't understand that, but it is dangerous. Why can't I have it now? You can't handle it. I've asked God for some crazy things for the last couple decades. And there's many times he said, not now. Why? Because you can't handle it, Craig. And I have an intention of you living your whole life for me, not living for a little bit and fizzing out because you're destroyed because you have character defects that do not allow my gifting and anointing and competence to come upon you until you are ready. If he acts in behalf of those who wait for him, you've got to entrust that God, I'm waiting for your timing and God, I'm waiting for your direction. I'm waiting for your guidance. You want to drive at 14 years of age, Knox? No way. Well, what's wrong with driving? 
Nothing's wrong with driving. It's just that this is not the right time because you're not ready for it. Why? Because I don't want you to be decapitated on 575. I'd like for you to be a child of mine and continue to grow up, right? Americans, we have a hard time with this today because the moment you tell somebody they can't have something, well, why can't I have something? Because it's all about this equilibrium and fairness. You got to throw that stuff out of your mind if you're going to follow the God of Scripture. What do you mean I can't have it now? Well, you can't have it now because I'm not equipped you to drive at 14. You're not ready to drive. Why can't I get married now? How many times have I heard that in 20 years? Why can't I get married now? You can't get married now because you're not the right person. I know you're looking for the right person, but marriage isn't about finding the right person. It's about you becoming the right person. And you'll destroy the very person God's got for you because you're not the right person getting in with the right person that God has for you. So you have to wait. Why do I have to wait? Because God acts on behalf of those who wait for him. He's a God of action. He's not, he's not not doing anything when you're waiting on him. He's acting. He is at, well, why can't I have what I want financially now? Because if you had what you wanted financially now, you would forever forfeit the ability to have a generous heart. And God knows it. So he gives you a generosity in your heart before you have a lot so that when you have a lot, you'll continue to be generous. He knows, he purviews, he surveys the whole situation, and he owes, and he acts on behalf of those who wait. Why can't I get that promotion now at work? That's it. That is, if you know that I'm qualified, God, why can't I have it now? Listen to me, friends. These are so many questions that people ask, and usually when they don't have an answer, they just move ahead in their own strength, and their own courage, and their own ability, and their own talents, and their own skills, and they destroy any and everything around them in the midst of trying to make it happen. You hear people say, I'm going to make it happen, right? This is what we say as Westerners. I, I can make it happen. I know I can grab life by the bull, I can, by the horns, and I can, I can make it happen. Well, the truth of a, the matter is most of us can't handle nearly as much as we think we can handle. And listen to me, if we can't handle it, we certainly can't do it better than God, and we certainly can't do it better than God's timing. Two things we must learn to wait for, God's timing, God's direction. We think about waiting. Let's answer this first question. You ready? What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? What does it mean to wait upon God? Well, when you think about what patience is, waiting upon the Lord means I'm willing to be patient with Him at this time because He has not seen fit to answer my petition. He has not seen fit to grant what I've requested. And so I'm being patient with God. Everybody say patience. I'm going to define patience for you. Ready? Patience is this. It's simply the will to wait. It's the will to wait. If I say I'm going to be a patient about it, I'm saying I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to wait. It also means to pause for further instruction. Patience means to pause. I'm going to slow down and pause until God gives further instruction. If I'm going to wait on God for something, I'm going to pause where I'm in this situation and I'm going to wait till He gives me further instruction as to the timing or the direction. Will He always tell me why I'm waiting? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. He might not tell you for a long time why you're waiting. Are there specific reasons we have to wait? Yes, there are. And I want to talk about those in a few moments, but I want you to think about that thing right now in your life that you most want. Think about it. What is it you really want? Maybe it's things. Maybe it's a career. Maybe if you're single, it's a relationship. Maybe if it's you're married, other relationships. Good relationships. And you're tempted right now to make it go and make it happen. But think about this. God in all of His sovereign power acts in behalf of those who wait for Him. And waiting means to be patient. Waiting means to pause. As we say, waiting for further instruction from the Lord. It doesn't mean to do nothing. Listen to me, listen to me. Waiting is not doing nothing. What is waiting doing? Waiting is specifically and deliberately doing what? Pausing and waiting for God to do something, which is an action. So waiting is an action. Now it means, listen, waiting also means, next one, that I'm willing to have a calm acceptance about whatever God's doing in my life. Are you going to have a calm acceptance about this season of your life? A calm acceptance of what He's doing in this season of my life. And what do we do oftentimes? We get very anxious, don't we? We get very upset. Why aren't you doing anything? Why aren't you doing anything, God? God! What is happening? But a calm acceptance says, I'm willing to wait for God's timing. 
I'm going to trust Him that He knows better than I do. And it also means that I'm waiting for God to intervene. To intervene in my personal circumstances to bring this about. Because what did we say in the very beginning of this message? He's personally involved in our life. And He's always, listen to me, acting in righteousness. That is, God can never do anything that is not righteous. So if God makes you wait, it's righteous in His intent. Do you hear me? God always acts righteously. He can't do anything towards you that's wrong. Are you with me? He can't treat you wrongly. He can only do that which is righteous in your life. He can only act righteously. So listen to me. You and I don't have to worry about God making a stake. God doesn't forget anything but our sins after we've confessed and repented of them. So he hasn't forgotten your request. You have from a couple years ago, but he hadn't. And he's not so busy doing something else that he can't remember what you asked him for. And so we're to wait for His intervention, His divine intervention. That is, if I'm willing to wait upon the Lord, I'm, not, I'm just not just waiting. I'm waiting for God's intervention in my life to bring to pass whatever I'm believed and whatever I'm convinced and persuaded of, this is the will of God for my life. So this waiting, this waiting, listen to me, business is so very important because you see, it's God's way. It's God's way. It is the, the way of God. I'm going to share in a few moments why we have to wait, but I think about it in this light also. Sometimes it means to have the ability to let go of what I think is an immediate need. You have to let go of what you think in your limited perspective is an immediate need in your life. You have to surrender it. Oftentimes we want immediate gratification now because we want to have it now. Y'all listen to me. Because we want to have it now, we make devastating consequences and decisions for our lives. We, we, we in so many ways, circumvent the, per, the process or the plan of God. And the reason we do it, listen to me, is because we think if it doesn't happen now, it'll never happen. And we get in our connect groups, and sometimes our connect group members make it just as bad as anybody else. Because they agree with us that if you don't get it now, it's forever gone. You've passed the opportunity. You need it now. You need to get after it now. And we forget. Listen, we forget who God is. But remember, Jesus came to reveal Him. And I want to tell you something. God would not have taught the Apostle Paul, and God would not have taught the children of Israel the value of waiting on Him if He did not know that was the best thing for His kids. So when I think about how He intervenes in our life, I think about patience. It simply means this. I'm willing to wait upon God. You ready for this next one? And remove all deadlines. That's hard. Waiting on God requires me to remove the deadlines. You've heard people say, well, I know what God wants to do in my life, and I'll give Him about 30 days, and that's it. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I heard, I've heard somebody say that. I know what God wants to do in my life, and I'll give Him this year. I'll give Him this year until I start to see it happen. I'm like, hold on, can, can you say that again out loud? Because I don't think you heard yourself, okay? And then just make Him repeat it. Well, I know what God wants to do in my life, and I'll give Him about 30 days. So the sovereign of the universe, God of all creation, and you're going to give Him a deadline. If he does not operate or come through on your schedule, it's all over. I mean, just think about that for a moment. What kind of relationship with you do you have with God where you give him deadlines? Think about that. Don't you have to go way back to the beginning of relating to God rightly? If you've gotten to a place in your relationship with God where you give him a deadline, think about how you view him. Think about how you see him. The one who knows what's best for you, the one who gave you breath, the one who continues to sustain you, the one who acts on your behalf, and you give him a deadline, that is very unwise, friends. That's real unwise. I think about what the psalmist said. I've got several psalms that are so important to me and so valuable to me as it relates to waiting on the Lord. It's interesting. People say, well, I believe the whole Bible. And I'm like, how much of the Bible? Cover to cover. Really? You believe the whole Bible? Yeah. Well, what about those verses that talk about waiting on the Lord? Well, that doesn't apply to me. Oh, yes, it does, my friend. It's one of my, God's most valuable principles to wait upon Him. Why? He, the reason for it is to protect us from self-destruction. 
God wants us to wait on Him. I want to give you several. Let's look at them on the screen. First of all, Psalm 27, verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I want you to see the, the juxtaposition of two words. Do you see the word strong? And then notice what it says, take courage. Why? Why? Why is strong and take courage in the same sentence as wait? Because I want you to listen to me carefully. If you had not heard anything I've said, or you hear anything else I'll say, you listen to me carefully. It takes a strong man or a strong woman or a strong young adult to face the temptation for something that God has for them later and say, I'm willing to wait when none other my other my other peers will wait on it. The strongest men and women I know are ones who look at the opportunities that God has put in front of them and says, I'll wait on another year. It takes, oh boy, does it take courage. It takes such courage to be able to say, hey God, you've got something out there for me and temptation is now, I'm going to make it happen now. But he says, be strong and take courage. Wait for the Lord. Yes, wait for the Lord. It takes strength. It takes courage. Listen to me. There is character in the person who has the strength to wait for God's best in their life. Never forget when Meredith and I uh, were contemplating in 2013 to move to uh, <clears throat> Tulsa, Oklahoma, where my mentor at the time was becoming the president of, of, of uh, ORU, Oral Roberts University. And so we went out and interviewed for the campus pastor position. And in that moment, it felt like everything God had called me to do. I love young adult ministry. And, you know, you've got 75 nations represented on ORU's campus. And so you'd get to, I'd get my master's and then my doctorate for free. They would have paid for it for free at the school while I was there. And we went out there and drove around Jinx and looked at houses and felt really good about it. And I remember us almost essentially making the decision and telling Billy Wilson, who was the president, still the president this time, hey, we'll do it. And I never forget, I, I always believe this to be true. I swear everything in the world changes if you'll just give one more night to sleep on it. This is why I tell people all the time, never make hasty decisions, because you make hasty decisions, you never give a chance for the Spirit of God in you to actually speak to you. So we slept on it, woke up the next morning, red flag in the Spirit. And I remember looking at that opportunity. It was hard, especially hard. I've had to do it. God's made me do it multiple times to look at my own main mentor who's asked me to go in an area of ministry that I know I'm called to long term and say, nope, I know I'm called to it, but I'm not called to it in this way at this time. And let me tell you something. When you do that, everybody will look at you like an alien. They will. And so in that moment, we stayed. God then, of course, called us to church plan, and we come a different direction. People will say, how is two steps backwards two steps forwards? Let me tell you, the only time two steps backwards is two steps forwards, when you're standing at the edge of a cliff. Two steps backwards is actually two steps forward. And it might in the natural look like it's God's purpose and plan, but if you'll be honest, and wait for the Lord. He will never lead you astray. Look at Psalm 25. I love this one, verse 3. This is powerful. None of those who wait for God will be what? A shame. Listen to me. What that means is, and some of y'all need to get this deep down in your soul. If you are thinking, if I don't get it now, I may not ever get it. Therefore, I'm going to look like I failed, and everybody around me will think I failed. Listen to me. Listen to me carefully. You don't ever have to worry about what people think or say when you are obedient to God. You don't have to worry about people's perception. You don't have to worry about what they're going to say or what future opportunities are going to not now be limited when you wait on God and obey God. It doesn't make any difference what those people think. So when, when someone says to you, well, if I was you, first thing I want you to do is say, time out, I want to remind you, you're not me. So that's the first thing you tell people, okay? So when the moment they say, well, if I was you, just time out, you're not me. So don't put expectations on me that God didn't put on me, okay? Cool, now you want to talk? Well, if I was you, what we have to do is we have to decide, am I going to be strong enough to wait for God's timing, or am I not? And I want to say something to me. Let me give you a little point here. When you are waiting on God, and you are waiting for God's timing, mark it down, you are waiting for God's very best. That's the only way He does it. He gives us His very best. Why? He's a righteous God. Would God give you imperfections, friend? Would God give you less than what's best for you when you wait upon Him? 
No. God only acts in behalf of those who wait on Him in the best way. We are waiting for God's timing. We are waiting for God's direction. Now I'm going to tell you, my last two, these are my favorite verses on waiting on the Lord. Psalm 37 verse 7. Let's read it. Notice what he said. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do you see the two verbs? Because resting and waiting are actions. Rest and wait. Rest in the Lord, wait patiently for Him. There's an action to waiting on God. Now let me give you my favorite verse about waiting on the Lord. This is from the Living Bible Translation, Psalm 37. This is so powerful, verse 34. Let's read it together. Don't be impatient for the Lord to act. Keep traveling steadily along His pathway. And in due season, He will honor you with every blessing. Wow, isn't that a beautiful way? To frame waiting on the Lord. I'm going to read it again. How beautiful. Don't be impatient for the Lord to act. Keep traveling steadily, one foot in front of the other, along his pathway and in due season. Everybody say due season. I don't get to determine the due season, do I? You don't get to determine the due season, do you? Nope, but you get to determine you're going to keep traveling steadily, don't you? I'm going to keep traveling steadily along the pathway, and in due season, He will what? He will honor you, notice this, with every blessing. To be patient on and with God. Listen to me. Why will He honor us with every spiritual blessing? That's what He has planned for us. That's what He has planned for you. Well, Pastor Craig, I don't know if I deserve that blessing. Well, that's not the issue. God has planned the best for us. In light of His will and His purpose... He's planned the best for us. So if I'm wise, I will wait. Now you say, wait for what? What do I wait for? You wait for two things. I wait for His timing, and I wait for His direction. That's the waiting God asked me to do. Wait for His timing. Wait for His direction. So the question comes, why do I have to wait? What's the reason for waiting? So think about it for your mo- in your own life for a moment. That particular thing you want or you have in mind. Okay? Can I get you back there a moment? What's that thing you want or things that you want? What's the reason for waiting on it? Why didn't God just give it to you right now? Well, there are a number of reasons. I'd like to give them to you. First of all, He makes us wait because He is readying... He's getting the circumstances ready for us to receive it. God makes us wake because He's readying the circumstances. What do you mean He's readying the circumstances? He's readying the circumstances. Sometimes we think we are ready. But oftentimes God needs to make changes in people. Or He needs to make changes in your job. Or he needs to make changes in relationships around you before he can give it to you. What do you mean, Craig? You want to marry someone. God says, not now. Why not now? Well, God knows something in that person's life needs to change so you'll be happy and holy and fulfilled in marriage. And he knows that. We don't know that. So he has to ready the circumstance. You think about Joshua and Jericho. Do you remember this in Joshua? The book of Joshua. Remember when Joshua takes the children of Israel over the, the, the uh, Red Sea and it's time to take on the promised land? And you remember they go to Jericho, right? It's the first battle. After he circumcises the army, they go in and they go to the first battle of Jericho. You remember how God gave the instructions how to defeat Jericho? Normal battle plan would be to take a city, build ramps, get into the city, massacre people, destroy them. But God takes a little bit different, different strategy. The instructions on how to defeat Jericho are, I want you to walk around the city, no one talking. Just walk in circles. You walk seven times, and then on the seventh day, you will shout, and the walls will come down. Now, that does not sound like a military strategy to me. Does that sound like a military strategy to you? No, what that sounds like is a parade. And you got to believe that Joshua and the people are saying, how in the world will we defeat these people? Watch the wisdom of God. I want you to watch this. I want you to watch how powerful this is. The wisdom of God. What is God doing while they are marching seven times, seven consecutive days in a row? Watch this. Listen to this illustration. And if you won't forget it, man, it will change your life. It will change your entire experience. 
God is causing confusion. God is causing disillusionment. God is causing fear to grip the Jericho hearts. God is causing frustration to happen among their leaders the entire time. Anxiety is building up in those people. And by the seventh time, they are in total disarray. I want to preach something to you this morning. The truth is, they are already completely defeated emotionally before the children of Israel have to defeat them physically. And God says, I have wisdom that you know not of. And I want you to walk around this city seven times after seven days. You ask anyone in the military. Ask them. Ask any sniper in the military. They probably won't talk to you about it because they got so much uh, PTSD. But if you, if you talk to a military strategist, what is the longest moment in a battle? They say the longest moment in a battle is when I got the crosshairs on the chest of that enemy. And I sit there under that bunker for hours. And I've got to, I cannot release the trigger and drop that person in the heart until I get orders from my own commanding officer. And they'll tell you, you talk to any officer, if you put the crosshairs on a person, all of that adrenaline pumping through the body, 10 seconds can feel like 10 years. And what's happening? They're on top of that wall looking at those children, not knowing what I'm doing, and it feels like eternity, and God is just breaking them down emotionally, and God is tearing them down in frustration, and He's causing their hearts to be anxious. And listen to me, He was taking Jericho's ability to courage and and courage to fight. And all they could see for seven days is marching. And I'm here to tell you this morning, there are times in your life and there are times in my life, it looks like I'm just marching. It looks like I'm not moving forward. It looks like God and his purpose has been surrendered. It looks like a parade, but yet God was doing something the whole time. He was working in behalf of the children of Israel to save multitudes in their lives. Listen to me. If if they had to build ladders and they had to build ramps, they would have killed all, all kinds of Israelites who had been killed. All they did was march and God brought them down. I wonder, I really do wonder this morning how many times God would give you what you ask for if you would just wait for His timing and remove the deadline. Wait on the Lord. You never go wrong waiting on the Lord. I thought this week, remember when David could have killed Saul twice? He gets anointed by the prophet to Samuel when he's a teenager. And he has to, for the next 10 years, not just not be king, he's got to run for his life for 10 years. He's already been anointed king, and what does he do? Go to Kinko's and get a business card, www, I'm the king, how do you like me now, dot com. Does he go parade to the rest of his church of how God's called him? Does he parade to the people around him, specifically of how he's been anointed? No, what he does. He refused to step ahead of God. you remember he could have killed Saul in the cave? And he says, I dare not touch the anointed one of God. Listen to me. David was 30 years old when he became king, but he was anointed at like 17 years old. He had to wait over 10 years Why? Because God knows the future. He knows the details of all of you. He knows what the enemy's like. He knows what we're like. He knows whether it's good for you or not. He knows if it's the right time or the wrong time. He knows you will regret the day if you disobey him. So he looks at you and he says, not now. Wait. Is there a purpose to waiting, Craig? Always. Why? Because the righteous God never makes mistakes. It's always for our good. Remember this, you'll never go wrong waiting on the Lord. He knows it all. And is there a purpose for God? Yes, it's always for our good though. He's a righteous God, does not make mistakes. He acts in behalf of those who wait for Him. So first of all, He's readying the circumstance. Number two, He's purifying our motives. Why does God make us wait? If your motive is lustful, if it is greed, listen to me, if it is because you want to retaliate on someone else, in other words, what's the motive for this? What's the mo- this thing or this person that I want? What's the motive for it? Is it because I deeply love this person or is it because I want something for me? If you're trying to learn in your dating relationship whether you love or lust someone, real simple. The object of love is to give. The object of lust is to get. If I think about my spouse and I want to get more than I give, I'm still lusting. See, that's why I actually think it's possible to lust in a marriage relationship. People think lust is gone after marriage happens. You can actually lust because you're still wanting all for you and not to give any of yourself to them. So the object of love is to give. For God so loved the world that He 
he gave, right? Is it, I want this job because I feel prideful and I can knock this boss off of his pedestal? Or is it because I really genuinely think I can do a better job and God can use my life to help move this business forward and bring, bring impact and make an impact on the people around me? And a lot of times I think we miss, listen to me, we miss God because our motivation's not right. When the motivation's not right, guess what God does? He makes you wait. He'll make you wait until the motivation gets pure. So this is why every day, you know what we have to do as His children? We have to filter our motives for what we're doing through the person of the Holy Spirit. Say, God, why do I want what I want? So one of the reasons is He has to get circumstances right. Secondly, He has to purify our motives. And third one, which is rather evident, He's teaching us to trust Him. Why does God make us wait? He's teaching us to trust Him. If God gave us everything we asked for as soon as we got it, we wouldn't trust Him. You realize this, right? If every time you prayed you got it, what would that tend to make you think who's in control? You. Would you trust a God when you're actually in control of Him? Right? So there are times in our life if God... we, we when, when God says to us, here's what I'm going to do for you, or here's what I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a clear direction at this point, but I want you to just trust me. Trust me and wait. I have thought so many times, friends, of how many times God comes to me, and he's, He normally just gives me two words. Sometimes He gives me three words. The two words He's given to me more than any other words He's ever spoken to me. Trust me. Sometimes they give me three. Just trust me. Y'all, I keep asking God, next slide, for clarity. He keeps asking me for trust. He'll win that battle. Do you trust Him? Do I trust Him? Am I going to continue to trust Him? He'll never be late. Isn't that awesome? He'll never miss any details. He won't give me the second best. But I want to tell you something, friend. You ready? My unwillingness to wait, I don't care how you frame it, my unwillingness to wait is always a declaration to God, I do not trust you. I don't trust you. So I'll step out and I'll do it myself and I'll do it the way I want it done. You say, oh, I trust God. No, 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 no. If you trusted Him, you'd wait. Well, I do trust Him, and I've waited. I've waited for like a whole month. Well, so what? Listen, if a month was all you needed, God would say, this is the time. So what happens is He must get things ready. He must purify our motives. I must learn. He must teach me that, to trust Him. But He's also doing something else. You ready? When He says, wait, next one, He's protecting us from something oftentimes we don't see. Why does God ask us to wait? He protects us. And sometimes we'll never see it, but He saw it. I want to ask you all a question. Seriously, I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you want God to give you what He has fully, totally already examined before He gives it to you? Of course you do, don't you? You want Him to examine it fully before He gives it to you. You want Him to look at it from beginning to end before He hands it to you. He sees what's under here. He sees what's over there. He sees what's around the corner. He sees who, who, what that relationship would look like. He sees it all. So therefore what? I can trust Him. And when I'm willing, unwilling to trust Him, I'm simply saying, you know, i got to have it my way. Let me give you one final reason He asks us to wait. You ready? We make our greatest Christian impact in our life when we choose to wait upon the Lord and watch God give or provide or promote or whatever it might be in His timing. Number five, we send an awesome testimony. Why does God make us wait? Because we'll send an awesome testimony. What do you mean we'll send an awesome testimony? There are those who are watching you in the workplace. Then those who are your friends, those that you work with, they're going to look at you and think, I promise you they will. Look at what he got. God, look at what she got. And we used to wonder why he didn't do this and why he didn't do that or why she didn't do this and why she didn't do that. In other words, 
Well, now I see. This is what I try to tell high school students. We're so worried about what our friends in high school think and about whether or not we're accepted by our friends. Let me just help some high school students out. Help me, let me help some young adults real quick. If you're over the age of 40 in the room, how often, how often over the last 12 months did you fellowship with your high school friends that were in first, second, third, and fourth period in that entire time that you spent every day with through ninth, 10th, and 11th grade? Zero time. You are willing to surrender your calling for people that won't even think about you on June 1st of your senior year? It's over. That time of your life is gone. They don't think about you. They're not going to look at you. They're not going to talk about you. And But it, listen to me. If you will live righteous before them and obedient before them, they'll see there's something different about you. And then in 10 years from now or 15 years from now, when they're looking on social media and they see God bless you and they see God use you in unique ways, they'll say, oh, I know why he didn't do that now. I know why he didn't party like we party. Oh, I know why he was living with his heart outside of his chest instead of being closed off. The One of the biggest reasons God makes us wait is he wants to send an awesome testimony to our friends and our co-workers and the world around us that God acts in behalf of those who wait for him. He'll act. We send a testimony. God, you've been faithful. You've been faithful to me. Why? Because he acts in behalf of those who wait for him. Listen, here's the cool thing is you win in that moment and then the people around you win in that moment. God has specific reasons for asking and for telling us to wait. Now let me give you the three choices we can make. We all in this room have three choices we can make. Here's the first thing we can do. Number one, we can manipulate our circumstances and we can take care of it ourselves. So meaning what we can do is we can, first choice, grab life, grab the situation by the, the horns, and we, 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 can, we can manipulate things to make it happen for ourselves. I'm just here to tell you something, friends. When we refuse to wait upon Him and we make choices, you will forfeit God's best. You lose God's best. You can't disobey God without losing. You can't. There's no way. You lose God's best, or you walk into a disaster. That's the first choice you have. Here's the second choice you have to make. You can walk away and quit. We can walk away and quit. What do you mean we can walk away and quit? You can say, forget it, God. God, you didn't deliver. Forget it. I'm out of here. I'm done. I've waited on you long enough. I've trusted in you long enough. Those pastors, they're full of whatever. Forget it, God. Or number three... You can wait, next slide, you can watch him work, and you can gain the reward. That's your three choices. My three choices are, I manipulate it, I grab it, I take care of it myself, I make it happen for myself, I mark it for myself, I walk into a disaster. Number two, I walk away and quit, just say, I'm done, I'm finished. Or number three, I wait, I watch God work, and I gain the reward. All of us have three choices, so I want you to think back to the thing you wanted, okay? Where are you right now? in that thing you want. Where are you? Where are you in those choices? And let me tell you, friends, I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, I did it my way, Pastor Craig, and I am so sorry. Why? Because I stepped outside of God's will. And then it has disastrous circumstances. It hurts. So when I think about that, I think about what are the requirements? Last thing. What are the requirements? If I'm going to wait on God, what's required of me? Let me give, you, give them to you. Number one, faith. First thing that's required for me to wait on God is faith. I have to trust Him. And y'all, it's so easy to sing. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Is that right? It's easy to sing. It's hard to do. So are you trusting Him? Are you having expressing faith? Here's the second thing that has to happen. I need to be patient. Requirements to wait on God, I gotta have faith, I gotta have patience. I have to be patient. I gotta sit back, wait, and be patient. Here's the third thing I have to have. Third thing required of me is I have to have humility. I gotta have humility. What do you mean, humility? I have to say, Lord, I'm willing to wait no matter how long it takes. I'm willing to do it your way. I'm gonna wait on your way. I know make, people may criticize or laugh, but Lord, I'm humbling myself before you and I'm gonna wait no matter how long it takes. I'm gonna trust and wait on God. It takes courage. It takes courage to do that. It takes great courage. And my question for you is, do you think that, that God's going to ignore that kind of commitment? 
Would God ignore that kind of faith and patience? No, He would not. And then number four, it takes courage. It takes courage to wait for God to work. To stand still and wait for God to work, it takes courage. It takes patience, it takes humility, it takes courage. Now, it takes courage in specifically two areas. I'd like to give them to you. Number one, we have to resist the temptation not to go ahead and do it our own way. You have to resist the temptation not to do it your own way. Second one is this. You have to resist the pressure of other people who are saying to us, well, if you don't do it now, you're going to lose. Isn't it interesting how easy it is for other people to give us this awesome advice about what we ought to do and what they would do? You know what? I have come to find in life those same people will probably tremble if they had the same test you have. They would tremble if they faced what you faced. And yet they're telling you to go ahead. If you don't get it now, you're not going to get it. So we have to resist the temptation, the pressure, and we have to resist the fear of failure. We have to resist the fear of failure. Listen, there's always Satan's always in the middle of God's good things. And so if we don't wait on him, we're going to get ourselves in trouble. And we have to remember, he, he always saves the best for those who are willing to wait for him. Not sometimes, but every time. Every single time. I think about the consequences of not waiting on him. What's the consequences of not waiting on him? Do we have that on the screen? It's on the card as well. The consequences. Are we good with the screens? Give me a thumbs up. Yes, awesome. Consequences of not waiting on God. First one, disappointment. Disappointment. There's always disappointment when you step ahead of God. I can guarantee you that. Listen, friends, you say, well, I've married this rich, beautiful, whatever. You know what? You can get disappointed if you're out of God's will. I don't care how rich, how beautiful, how powerful, how meaningful, what position he has. It doesn't make any difference. I have sat with couple after couple after couple after couple after couple. Well, he's this, he's that, he's that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what he is. It doesn't matter what you aren't. You're out of God's will. You can get disappointed. And then you're going to have to deal with that disappointment because now you've made covenant relationship that you're in for the rest of your life. You've made that commitment. When you get ahead of him, listen to me, you've stepped out of his will. You stepped out of his will. Now, the next one, you, you've manipulated circumstances. You've gotten on with it. You're out of God's will. That's always a dangerous place. Then what you've done is this. The third thing I'd mention, as far as the consequences, is you lost God's best. So I choose not to wait. I've lost God's best. Why does anyone want God's second best? Somebody says, well, I don't want God's second best, but I believe. Um, I'm like, mm, no, if you trust him, you can trust him for his best. And, and God's way is always the best way. His plan is always the best plan. He knows what you can handle, and he knows what you can't handle. People get, people get a, a monster house with a huge payment that they can't afford, right? And it matched their pride, but it wasn't God's plan. So they get themselves all kinds of trouble. Let me tell you what, what, what else happens, the consequence of not waiting on God. Next one, you bring upon yourself pressure, hurt, and suffering. Is this not American life? Is this not American life, friends? When I choose not to wait on God, the consequences is added pressure, added hurt, added suffering to my life. And then, of course, probably the greatest consequence of disobeying God is other people get hurt. Other people get hurt. The people that I love around me get hurt. I think about how many young girls get pregnant and they're not married and they realize it was not worth that few minutes. It was not worth that relationship. And now they're hurt, challenged, difficulty. Because of the consequence of not waiting. His plan's the best plan. He acts in behalf of those who wait for Him. I'm going to give you a last statement. I want you to write it down. Our willingness to wait reveals the value we place on the object we are waiting for. Our willingness to wait for whatever it is reveals the value we place on the object we're waiting for. You want to get married? Are you willing to wait for God's choice? Do you value God's choice enough to wait? You want children on your life? Are you willing to wait for God's choice? Well, I do want children. His timing, you can never go wrong. Does that mean I'm always going to get everything I want in life? I want, not necessarily, but here's what it does mean. When I wait for Him and I want something that's not His will, here's what He'll do. He'll change my desire when I'm waiting. And because he knows that maybe I don't know all the details that I think that's what I want, here's what he'll do. He'll gently move me from what I desire to what he desires for me. And then when he gives me what I want, it'll be what I really want, not what I thought I wanted. Why? Because you can't lose being obedient to God.
He says He acts on behalf of those who wait for Him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come as we prepare the Lord's tables, how we're going to conclude today. Don't let somebody push you. Don't let somebody shove you. Don't let somebody pressure you. Don't let somebody intimidate you, embarrass you. You wait for God's timing in trust and faith. God will grant you the desires of your heart that fit His perfect will if you just trust Him. Now, I do know one thing about your life if you're in this room, though maybe I've never even met you. I know one thing about your life that's the will of God, and I don't know whether you've asked Him about it or not, but I know this is the will of God for your life. What is it, Pastor Craig? You say, what's that? You've never seen me before. The will of God for your life is that you confess your sins and you ask the Lord Jesus Christ into your, your heart and life. You surrender your life to Him, and by the power of the Spirit, you begin to follow Him as Lord and Master of your life. I know that today is His will even before I talk to you. It's the will of God for you to walk in His will. The will of God for you that your lifestyle will be a lifestyle of obedience. I know those things are true. And if you're willing, listen to me. To accept Him as your Lord and Master, what you've done is you've sided up with the best. You've sided up with the most powerful. You've sided up with the one that has eternal life, the righteous one. And that's my plea for you, no matter who you are, where you are in this room, it works whatever language or culture, whatever your place in life, it works every time if you're willing to ask Him to cleanse you. Maybe you're a believer in here, and I want you to hear me. Maybe you think, have I messed it up badly? Is there any hope for me now that I've jumped ahead of God and I can't ever go back to where I was? Listen carefully. I want you to hear me because if you miss this, you're going to leave with this, this, the possibility of discouragement. The will of God is like this. There is His ultimate will for your life, which is what He had in mind to begin with. Then there's His circumstantial will in your life. You blew it badly. What do you mean? Yeah, you blew it. You made a mistake. You say, I never can go back. Now what? The grace and the love and the mercy and the goodness of God provides for His circumstantial will. And that's where you are now. The circumstances which you have created partially because of your bad decisions, what does He do? If you'll, if you'll repent and confess, He'll forgive you, He'll cleanse you, and then what does He do? He sets you instantly in the direction that He wants you to walk, having now acknowledged your failure, acknowledged His Lordship and your willingness to follow Him. That is the grace of God, and now His will can be lived out in your life. That's who He is, and that's what you can have no matter who you are in the room. We wait upon the Lord. Take courage. Wait. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.